Thanks for finding us and tuning into this podcast this week presented by Beef O'Brady's in Tampa on the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue, as well as Hank's Barbecue and Home Slice Pizza. Enjoy the podcast. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is good. To beat the man, you gotta beat the man. The two-one swung lane drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Green. Here's the run of the play. This is the Powers on Sports podcast. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. Appreciate you finding us. We are at the ten days before Christmas episode of the Powers on Sports podcast presented by Beef O'Brady's here in Tampa at the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue. I want to thank all of our partners throughout the uh, fall season for uh, being supportive of our podcast platforms, Beef O'Brady's, Hank's Barbecue, Home Slice Pizza Company, Titan Home Lending, Print and uh, marketing solutions, as well as our realtor, Star Alvarado. So really appreciate all of your support during the fall football season as we get into the winter now. Uh, but again, 10 days till Christmas. Have you done your shopping? If not, you better get moving. It's going to be hard to get those packages shipped to you, so you better have to. You may have to buy local here for all of your uh, remaining gifts as we approach uh, the Christmas holiday season here, just a mere 10 days or so away, depending on when you're listening to the podcast. Got a good episode for you. Uh, we're going to talk to Coach Jim Levitt about the passing of Mike Leach. Coach Leach and Jim Levitt were very, very good friends. So we're going to get some perspective from Coach on uh, his relationship with, with Mike Leach, what made him such a great coach, a lot of his interest away from the football field and such. You'll hear some great stories from Coach Levitt about their relationship with Coach Leach's tragic situation. Coach Leach passed away on Monday night in Mississippi after a cardiac event over the weekend. Um, we're also going to talk to Chris uh, Perez, former MLB closer uh, with Cleveland Indians, concerning the winter meetings, a lot of big free agent signings in the last uh, week or so. So we're going to go through all that stuff and get a little get, as well as he's going to give you a little college football uh, breakdown of the playoff games and such. So got a good, good episode for you. Uh, not all under the best of circumstances. We've had a couple of passings of some uh, prominent names. Obviously, Coach Mike Leach passed away. We had Grant Wall, the uh, famed soccer writer, passed away in Qatar at the World Cup. And we're going to get into that here in just a couple minutes here as well. So before we get to Coach Levitt and Chris Perez, I'm going to give you some thoughts on some topics of some things that over the last week or so, some various topics around the sports world that I think are, are, are worthy of chatting about and giving you an opinion about. So, um, But yeah, thanks for finding us on your podcast platform. Remember, you can send us a note on Twitter at Sports. Love to hear from you if you've got a comment about what we're doing. Love to see us do some more different stuff. Love to hear it. Uh, at Sports on Twitter. Also, if you're interested in watching the video interviews that we all and all, all the podcasts, 
You can check out my YouTube channel, Jason Powers Sports Channel on YouTube, and you can see all these different uh, video interviews with Coach Levitt, Chris Perez, and all the other interviews we've done throughout the uh, fall as well. Um, remember, no more, no, no more Florida Football Insiders podcast. We will have one more podcast after Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's, previewing the playoff games and a couple of these bowl games. So you can check out uh, the Florida Football Insiders podcast, part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Podcast Network. And if you're interested in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you can check out my No Quarter Given podcast. We do a weekly podcast on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Myself and Peter Blake break down the previous game and preview the next week's opponents. Obviously, the Bucks are struggling at 6-7, and seven, but still leading the NFC South. So we'll break down the San Francisco loss and preview the Cincinnati Bengals coming up this week on the No Quarter Given podcast, part of the BuckPower.com podcast network. So, all right, let's get to some uh, topics before we get to Coach Levitt and Chris Perez. Navy, Army-Navy had, had, had their first ever overtime game over the weekend Army wins in double overtime. I believe 20-17 to 17 was the final. More importantly, what a bad job by Navy. They fire the, the coach, Coach Ken, who's been there for like 15 years. They fire him 10 minutes after the game in the locker room, apparently, from all, all reports. What a bad job by the Naval Academy. I don't have a – if you're going to fire the guy, okay. That's debatable whether you fire the guy or not. I get it. But – don't fire the guy 10 minutes after the game when he loses in double overtime on the six-inch line. Uh, just a poor job by by the athletics uh, personnel there at, at the Naval Academy. Very, very poor job. Give the guy a little dignity. Let the guy sleep on it for a night. Uh, if you want to fire him the next day, okay, do it. Um, but it's not like you're firing him 10 minutes after the game so you can go hire Lincoln Riley. Uh, you know, just a poor job by the Naval Academy for doing that, the way they handled the firing of Coach Kent. So I was down on Navy for that. Um, let's talk about uh, fake injuries. Good for the NFL um, for instituting this new policy. If you didn't see this, the Saints were fined a combined $500,000 between the organization, the coach, and the player. They were fined for uh, obvious fake injury in the Tampa Bay Buccaneer uh, Monday night game. Uh, the the NFL is trying to crack down on these on these defensive players just going to the ground when another team is trying to do a hurry up offense to stop play with fake injuries. Good for the NFL for doing this. Um, it's getting to be way out of control uh, as far as what these guys are doing. Um, you know, it's it's obvious and clear that these guys are being coached to do it. Um, by people in the organization, so good for, again, good for the NFL. Apparently, they'd sent out a memo previously stating there would be some financial penalties for for clearly getting caught doing this, and the Saints got caught doing it. Um, you know, not that not that it's because it's the Saints doing it, which they're not the cleanest organization in the world, but. Any team should be getting suspended for doing this because it's it's just a black eye on the game. It breaks the flow of the game, and it's just and it's it's in bad taste. And I know Cam Jordan, who's a respected player in the league, is is gonna is gonna appeal the suspension and all that or the fine and all that stuff. God bless you, Cam. You got busted. You got caught. 
it's 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 clear clear as day that we know what you're doing. Other people around the league are doing it, and hopefully the NFL will keep cracking down and finding these other organizations that are doing it too. So it's got to be fixed because it's just a black eye for the game. Same in the college game. The college game has got to come up with a, with some kind of penalty for doing that as well because the college guys are doing it are just as bad about doing it as the as the pro guys. Obviously, you can't. It's going to be hard to find a college for doing it, but um, they got to figure out a way to to penalize or something for doing these uh, lousy things to slow down these 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 uh, fast paced offenses. So, but good for the NFL for doing that and instituting that uh, new measure to uh, to pre- try to prevent some of this nonsense from happening. Um, again, we're going to talk to uh, Chris Perez about the winter meeting. So you hear you hear you hear lots of of good tidbits about player signings, about thoughts from from a player going through free agency, player-agent relationships, all that good stuff with Chris. How about Chris Beard at Texas? I mean, are you kidding me? Chris Beard gets arrested on Monday night for uh, domestic assault allegations, potentially choking his fiance. has been suspended by the University of Texas without pay. Uh, was booked, arrested, uh, like all that stuff. It will be very interesting to see what the University of Texas does here uh, with Chris Beard if they if they if he if he's relieved of his duties. Hard to bring a guy back when he's been accused of domestic assault like that, strangulation. Um, that was the allegation it was that he was that he choked his the, the fiance uh, and all that stuff. So. You know, very, very difficult. This guy was at the at the top of the mountain here with the Texas job, done such a great job at Texas Tech. Um, and for him to, I won't say ruin his career, but put a major, major dent in his career, um, p- potentially losing this job, and it's going to be hard for Texas to bring him back uh, if if any of these any any semblance of these allegations are proven to be true. He's going to lose his job, in my opinion, uh, at the University of Texas. Um, and it'll be a, uh, and he deserves it. If, if that's what was involved, if he was accused and was, has been found to have done any of that stuff, he deserves to lose his job. Um, you know, for a guy that's a high profile, uh, ju- uh, you know, big time college coach, you can't do that under any circumstance. You can't do what he did. So if, if that's what he did, we'll, we'll see how it works out, but bad job, Chris Beard. That's just, uh, you want to wait to ruin a, ruin a great career. That's a great way to do it. So, uh, World Cup-wise, we are getting to the end here. Remember, World Cup final will be on Sunday morning. Uh, I believe it's a 10 a.m. kickoff leading into the NFL in Eastern East Coast time. We already know it's Argentina in the final on one side, and the uh, other side of the bracket will be determined on Wednesday. We are taping this on Wednesday morning, so the, the other semifinal is Wednesday afternoon, France and Morocco. You could have a great story on Sunday with Messi versus Mbappe if France were to get through. And then you could have the absolute all-time David versus Goliath story if it's Argentina and Morocco. Morocco, the first ever African nation to get to the semifinals. The feel-good story, the absolute uh, David versus Goliath matchup potentially with Argentina and Messi. Uh, Or you could have the two heavyweights between Messi and Mbappe uh, in France, the France is a defending champion. Be the first time in like 60 years that a defending cha- a champion could potentially defend their title at the World Cup going against Argentina and Messi trying to get his first World Cup title and potentially his last World Cup match. So 
Uh, the the storylines and the narratives will be a plenty no matter which which way this semifinal goes between France and Morocco. Uh, if you're watching this, uh, you know obviously m- most likely you'll already know what the result is when, by the time you're listening to this. Uh, but again, you got the power of France versus the uh, little guy of Morocco. You can make an argument for both sides of the of the uh, of the spectrum here if you're a soccer fan of which you'd want to see on Sunday. From a probably a soccer perspective, you'd probably love to see the two heavyweights, France and Argentina, in the final. But again, from a story perspective and from a uh, you know world power perspective, Morocco making the final of the World Cup would be such an inspiration for so many other nations like the United States, all around the world of, of that you can be you can be a world power even if you're not one of the heavyweights of soccer. So cool will be it'd be a cool. Uh, See how the final ends up. Again, remember the final Sunday morning, 10 a.m. from Qatar leading into the NFL coverage. So last point about uh, the World Cup is you have the Grant Wall situation. Grant Wall is the tremendous American sports writer who passed away in Qatar at the Argentina-Netherlands game while it was going on in the press box, had had an event. Uh, the reports came out Wednesday morning that he had a uh, aneurysm, an aortic aneurysm. Uh, so luckily, his body was flown back to New York City. They, they did an autopsy. His wife is a doctor, so her, she announced the uh, aneurysm diagnosis. So thank, luckily, um, you know it was it was something natural and it wasn't any kind of foul play involved. There was a lot of speculation. Did the Qatar government have something to do with this? Uh, nefarious, do something nefarious to Grant Grant Wall. Remember, he had been very outspoken about the migrant worker conditions in, in Qatar, the deaths associated with the World Cup, uh, the treatment of uh, gays, the LGBTQ community in Qatar. He was very outspoken about that. He had been detained at the beginning of the World Cup because he wore a, uh, a rainbow shirt and such. So luckily it's not because uh, that would have been a major international incident had that been determined that there was foul play involved and that the, maybe the, potentially the Qatar government was involved. That would have been a major uh, political international story. Luckily, it's terrible that he passed away. By all means, terrible. But at least it was natural causes. Um, but again, a, lo- a life lost way too soon. He just turned 49 years old. I think a day or two before he passed, he had a huge party. Uh, birthday party with a bunch of his friends in Qatar celebrating. So uh, just a tragic story. And again, Grant Wall, if you don't know who that is, look him up, Google him. He's kind of like the, a good reference I heard, he's kind of like Peter Gammons was to baseball. He was kind of the, the inside reporter. He had all the news nuggets about U.S. soccer. He was really a promoter of the sport here in the United States and all that stuff. So he was he was a big-time soccer writer um, the probably the most well-known voice of, of soccer in the journalism world here in the United States. So just a tough loss at 49 years old. Obviously, we had, we're going to talk about the passing of Mike Leach, uh, head coach Mississippi State with Coach Jim Levitt here in just a minute. He passed away on uh, Monday night as well after a cardiac event over the weekend. Ironically, the Mississippi State uh, team was is coming to Tampa for the bowl game here right after New Year's. So Mike Leach would have been in Tampa where I'm based out of here in a couple weeks for the bowl game. So uh, some irony there. But we'll talk to Coach Jim Levitt here in just a minute or two about their friendship. They had a very, very deep friendship going way back 
talk about their friendship, about what made Coach Leach a great football coach, great guy, off the field, and all that stuff. So appreciate you finding us on the Powers on Sports podcast. Uh, again, want to thank our sponsors as we head to the holidays here. Um, Beef's, Beef O'Brady's Sports Bar here in Tampa uh, at the corner of Bush Boulevard and Himes Avenue. Definitely check that out over in the Carrollwood Forest Hills area for all your sports needs. Stop by Beef O'Brady's. Uh, home Slice Pizza Company, Hank's Barbecue, Titan Home Lending. If you have any home mortgage needs, if you have any real estate needs, reach out to Star Alvarado, uh, and you can get with Star about uh, some. If you're looking to sell or list your sell a house or buy a home, uh, Google Star Alvarado. Give me one second here. Let me. I'll give you. Let me get Star's phone number for you. Her number is Miss Star Alvarado. One second here. Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. You can reach Star if you're looking, if you need any real estate help as far as being, need an agent to sell your home or potentially looking to buy a home. If you need any uh, home financing help, reach out to Titan Home Lending, uh, 205-790-1404. They can help you anywhere in the state of Florida. And again, uh, all your print and marketing solutions, reach out to my guy Todd Tedesco, Print and Marketing Solutions here in Tampa. He can help you with all your uh, printing needs. So, all right, Powers on Sports Podcast. Thanks. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with Jim Levitt and then Chris Perez. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports Podcast. Obviously, you've probably heard by now the passing of uh, – very, very successful college football coach, Mississippi State head coach, Mike Leach. Mike uh, passed away on Monday night. Uh, he had a cardiac event on Sunday at his home in uh, Mississippi and passed away on Monday night. Um, terrible news in the in the coaching profession. And we're going to talk to Coach Jim Levitt, who I know you, you guys have heard us talk to throughout the year. Coach was a very good friend of Coach Leach's, and we're just going to talk to Coach Levitt. We're going to be here all, today. It's all going to be about celebrating Coach Leach. He lived a great life for the time he was here, 61 years old. He won 158 career games as a head football coach at the college level, and he was never at an elite, you know, top five program. He did it at some tremendous places, Texas Tech, Washington State, Mississippi State. And, um, you know, people don't realize Coach, Coach Leach had a law degree. Not many head football coaches at the college level have a law degree. I want to bring in Coach Jim Levitt. Coach Coach Jim, first of all, I want to just condolences to you. I know you're a very close friend of Coach Leach's, and just uh, thanks for joining us. No, I appreciate it. It was, um, you know, I heard the news a few days ago when, um, you know, he has heart attack, and when good news wasn't coming out, I was really concerned, and, and my heart goes out to his wife, Sharon, their kids, and, you know, Mike was a very good friend. We spent a lot, a lot of time together. Um, you know, I'd met him originally when I was head coach of South Florida. And, you know, they he was at Kentucky, and they were coming to play in a bowl game in Tampa. And, um, you know, I met him, and he uh, he said he was going to Oklahoma to coach for uh, Bob Stoops. And Mark Mangino was the old line coach. So he was really concerned about Mark. Uh, or or. Bob was bringing Mark Mangino in to be the O-line coach. He was always at Kansas State. So he kept asking me a lot of questions about Mark. So that's where we initially met. And then, you know, when when I, um, you know, when we had the big lawsuit with me and, 
uh, University of South Florida, same thing was happening with Mike and Mark Mangino. So it's a small world. Right. We all had, um, you know, cases that uh, we felt like we were wrongfully terminated. And so we were on the phone and Mike and I talked for two months. Every night he would call me. Mike's a little different than most people. Yeah. He would call me every night at about 1230 at night. My wife, Jody, was um, was there and he goes, who is that? I go, what's Mike again? And I would take the phone. We I go downstairs. We talk till 3, 330 in the morning, you know, about about everything. And we talked for literally two months. Wow. And Mike and I became very, very close through that. And when my wife had our first child, uh, Sophia, we drove down to his home in Key West and Mike and I, you know, just spent from morning to night just talking. And um, talk about how much he loved Key West. You know, that oh, always came Key up West. how much he, and of all places, a guy from California, how does he, how did he, how did he, how did he find a place? I heard how Mummy on an interview earlier today talking about how they were recruiting a kid and Coach Mummy said, go find me a kid from Florida. And they ended up in Key West and then he just fell in love with Key West. He just loved it. He loved everything about Key West. And we didn't go out because we were both going through the lawsuit. So both, all our attorneys said, you better not go out in Key West. <laughs> that place. So it was really, it was really funny. We, you know, he, he knew Matthew McConaughey okay. really well. And there was an incident a number of years ago with Matthew McConaughey and bongo drums. <laughs> and you all have to look up the story. It was about Matthew McConaughey was naked or something hitting a bongo drum. And Mike had the bongo drum <laughs> and he brought the bongo drum downstairs. And I started hitting the bongo drum, talking to Matthew McConaughey on the phone for about 30 minutes. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty, that was fun. Uh, and that was, um, and Jody was carrying our, Jody was ju just talked to Sharon. Mike and I had a few drinks and while they were talking, because, you know, obviously Jody wasn't going to drink because of the, um, you know, I had carrying Sophia. So we got really close. And then when he went to Washington State, he offered me the D.C. job there a couple of times. And the circumstances were where I just couldn't do it. Right. And then most recently, when he took the job at Mississippi State, he called me at 3 in the morning. <laughs> we talked till 6.30 a.m. And Jody, again, knew it was Mike Leach because nobody else called then. And... I had just taught, took it, taken a job with Willie Taggart at FAU, and it was during COVID, and I really wanted to see my mom. My mom was 96, and she was in St. Pete, so I knew I could get back and forth. And right. we talked for three and a half hours about the defense coordinator job, and um, who now is the interim head coach. And uh, it just – it was too hard. I'd already – you know, I was pretty loyal about things. I, I'd already accepted a job at FAU. And, right. And it, it kept me in Florida, and – my wife and kids were in Colorado at the time and I knew they would, you know, I thought they'd come to Florida and I thought we kind of, we're trying to get back our family back together and which uh, was hard, you know, in the coaching profession sometimes. So when I, you know, so Mike and I were very close and we spent a lot of time together and I really enjoyed him. And talk, let's, let's, we, before we get, before we get to the X's and O's of him as a coach, let's talk about some of the jobs he took. He, he took some tough jobs and he made those, those programs in those cities, massive winners. Texas Tech, not an easy place to get to, recruit to, and win at. One big time at Texas Tech. Then he went to Washington State, another tough place to go and win and recruit, and he did it. 
Then he goes to Mississippi State. Everybody thought Air Raid's not going to succeed in the SEC in Starkville, Mississippi, and he won there. Just talk about – and he was, he's kind of an eccentric guy. Talk about how he fits into those kind of communities and what a great job he did winning at those places that you know are tough, tough places to win. Yeah, you know, he was at Texas Tech. I was head coach South Florida pretty much all the same years, and we used to talk all the time because we're – you know, they're both tough places to win. I mean, you know, we had all we had was an abandoned trailer from George Steinbrenner. <laughs> we were we were winning a bunch of games, and uh, which 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 kind of I laugh now when they talk about a new facility and new stadium up at uh, up on the campus of South Florida. And I was sitting there thinking, heck, we we were playing Pittsburgh and uh, Louisville and Syracuse, Rutgers, all those people, and using Raymond James, and we didn't have any facilities. <laughs> we just had we had players with passion that worked their tail off and you know we played with confidence and uh and mike and i would talk about both places because they were hard and i would tell him how great he was doing he would you know he'd be nice to me and say that we were doing a really good job with south florida so we we talked a lot then i faced him as a d coordinator when he was at washington state and i was at colorado we had a really good defense we beat him and uh, he, uh, we really played good defense, and it was we had to win, we had to beat them to uh, win our division in the uh, Pac-12. Right. Uh, to play Washington in the championship game, that was the only time Colorado's won ten in the last twenty years. Um, and then I faced him when I was at uh, Oregon, and really played really good defense one time. Another time they, they got us uh, up at Washington State. They really, that's a tough place to play. Yeah. So I, I knew their offense really, really well and uh, knew what they were trying to do and they were good at it. And he, he didn't care if people knew what they were doing. He said, you got to stop me. <laughs> and, yeah. I heard, I heard coach Lane Kiffin today talking about the, in the egg bowl this year, he knew their defense knew what the plays were coming and they still right. couldn't stop it because of the way they executed. And I always loved how coach Leach didn't have a big play sheet. He had a little index card I mean, it was the smallest little index card for a coach, and he just calls his whole offense off the index card. Well, we knew what he did was he would give the play out to the quarterback. And when the quarterback, when the offense ran the play, the quarterback, if you notice, to look at film, would look right back at Mike. Mike gave the, the next play call while the play was still running <laughs> a lot of times. But we, we filmed it. We, we filmed him, so we knew what he was doing. And we knew his hand signals. We had his all the sheets. We had everything. And because uh, I'd faced Mike three times, and uh, and we you still you just it's hard to stop. You know, it just is. You really your players have really got to understand what they're trying to do. You know, for coaches to understand is one thing, but you got to have your players really understand what their philosophy is, what they're trying to do. And a lot of people like Washington used to beat them all the time, and a lot of people would he hated the odd front. He hated it, and he hated the eight-man drop. You know, when you're dropping eight people and just rushing three. If you were rush more, you, he's going to get the ball off so fast anyway, you probably weren't going to get to him. Tell, so instead of yeah, – it's the one offense that you, you drop people. But what I would do is I would bring edge pressure from one side to the other, or I would drop eight. And we, we really had a pretty good understanding. But, you know, our offense had to play well, too, in the kicking game, and – you know, you, you know it's going to be a close game whenever you played them, usually, you know, because they could always score. 
They always had great quarterbacks. Never, they never had the five-star quarterback. It was always these guys with kind of let you know noodle noodle arms that didn't have strong arms, but they were accurate. They could throw those short and intermediate routes really, really well. So give give the audience just the layman football fan two or three concepts of the air raid. I mean, we hear air raid like like you act like they throw it fifty yards down the field. Eighty-five percent of the passes seem like they're within ten yards. You know, all he all he wants to do is try to get the ball out, get it into the playmakers' hands, and let them do the work. You know, one thing that's really important is you got to tackle well, yeah. and you know, yards after the catch, so they call me yak yards. That's a big, big deal. It really is. And you got to tackle well. You've got to keep your when you drop your linebackers and all the underneath coverage, they got to keep their eyes on the quarterback. You're not going to open your hips that much. You're just going to backpedal, and really keep your eyes on the quarterback and and read his releases. Uh, because that that's a really big thing, but you better be able to run. You better be able to line up against the inside zone, and that's why he didn't like the odd front. The odd front allows you to stop the run game with the inside zone, where you can also get in your pass coverage, and it, it's got answers. And the even front, not so much, you know. Um, but in the even front, you know, when you get him to third and long, Sometimes second and very long, but I didn't do it. I'd only go to even front if it was a third, very third and long, because I had more things to come with. But, you know, the two things is keep people in front of you, make them work the field. Uh, you know, your safeties have got to do a great job communicating. And um, you got to tackle well. You just do. And, 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 we, and you make it sound very simple, but the guy won 158 games as a head football coach at the Division One level. What an accomplishment. Yeah, that's what we were always teasing about because he was at like right where I was at today. We had one ninety five at uh, South Florida, and he had one ninety five at Texas Tech. So we'd oh. always, I'll never forget <laughs> it because we we met in Vegas one time with our wives, and uh, we'd always tease each other about that who was going to get to a hundred wins. Well, obviously he did before I did because I was never a head coach again. South Florida was the only place I was head coach, you know. So uh, he, he's a remarkable coach. He was. He was just different. Talk, talk, about, talk about some of his interests away from football. He always talked about, you know, how smart of a guy he is and law degree and how he liked to just talk about everything from Bigfoot to candy to anything and everything. Talk about some of your non-football discussions that, that are just, you know, you, people wouldn't think that coaches would talk about. Uh, he, he would. He'd talk about everything. He loved history. He loved Geronimo. <laughs> he, he used to he used to talk about those, but he would go off on tangents. You never knew where he was going to go with a conversation. He never did, and he would go off on some tangent, and you you really weren't going to reel him back. He was just going to go, and and he would explain things and he would describe things with such passion and interest that it, it captivated you, and you really didn't want him to come back. You wanted him to just keep going with what he was talking about. And uh, I heard Saban talk about that t today in a little article. I know Bob Stoops yep. and Bob and I are really good friends. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's really an unbelievable story because the head coach at USC has no idea that I helped him get there because wow. Bob Stoops called me up and needed an offense coordinator. And he didn't know who to get, but he wanted to ask Mike Leach, but he didn't want to call Mike. So he said, would I call Mike Leach and ask him who he should hire as his offense coordinator? So I called Mike, and there was two or three names that Bob was looking at. And Mike told me exactly. He says, hire this guy at East Carolina. He's going to be the one 
that is so much better than any of them. So I called Bob back and I said that Mike Leach said to hire the now head coach at USC. Wow. Lincoln uh, Riley. And and, I'm sorry. Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and Lincoln came and did a great job at OU. Then he went to USC. Lincoln to this day probably has no idea wow. that I was the one to help him get from East Carolina to Oklahoma. That's, that's a, that's a great story. Bob, Bob Stoops, because Bob and I talked on the phone, and that's what ignited my call to Mike Leach. Because I told, why don't you call Mike and ask him? Because he's at all. He goes, well, I don't want to call Mike. Why don't you? And I said, okay, I will. <laughs> Called Mike, and he and that's when he suggested, you know. What's it, uh, man, What's interesting, your relationship with coaches, you're a defensive guy, and he's an offensive guy. You would think offensive guys would relate better with all, but you and him had such a great relationship, and you guys were – He's tra- you're trying to stop him, and he's trying to light you up on defense. And how did that symmetry, you know, just that relationship foster over time? Well, we talked about a lot. We talked about that a lot. That's why he was really interested in having me come with him as a DC, and 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 I really wanted to work work for him, work with him uh, when I got let go at South Florida. You just don't understand the relationship because when Mark Mangino, and that's what's so interesting, Mark Mangino was at Oklahoma with. Uh, we all knew Bob Stoops, so we used to always tease Mark Mangino, Mike Leach, and I used to always tease that Bob Stoops is the one that caused us to always get, get, to go through those lawsuits, and Bob was the one that never it never happened to him because uh, all three of us were tied in with Bob and, right. in one way or another. Bob and I were Cody coordinators at Kansas State for six years, right. and Mark and Bob were together, and Mike Leach and Bob were together. But you know the things that we did with Mark Mangino. Mike Leach and I, in those days, nobody was fighting the contract. Everybody was, you know, and they, we all got fired for cause and cause wasn't defined. It was a way to get out of contracts. And and by us uh, standing up, I think changed the whole history on contracts and right. head coaches and hirings and all those type of things. And my point is this, we got very close to that because we went through a very, very difficult, stressful time a time where we all felt like we were, uh, it was wrong, uh, you know, wrongful termination right. and in, in, in our minds and our thoughts. And when you go through very difficult things, you, you, and you, you can share different things that you become right. very close. You go through adversity together and you become very close. And, and that's just kind of what started our relationship. Although I knew Mark Mangino from Kansas state, and I just talked to Mark on the phone today for at length about Mike. And then I, uh, Bob and I text each other and Mike Stoops and I text each other today and, you know, just, you know, thoughts about Mike, you know, and, um, when's the last hard. time you talked to coach Leach? Uh, it was a little while ago. It, it hasn't been recent. Cause I, you know, I'm not going to bother anybody during the season. Right. I talked to him before that. Um, but we, you know, our relationship was so strong that it, you know, just like Bob and I don't talk a lot right now, but you know, when we, when you do, we do, you know, you know, you're, you got a close relationship and, um, but it was, uh, this morning was really hard for me. You know, um, I'm not, I can only imagine what the, what his wife and kids are going right. through. Right. I'll never forget his oldest boy when I was hitting the bongo drums talking to Matthew McConaughey, he came down to the bongo drum was in his room uh, in his Key West home. But um, it, it was hard this morning because I knew it was going to happen. I had a friend call me and say he died. 
Right. And I set a parking lot of my house here in Tampa. And even now it's tough, you know, when you think about it. Because, uh, you know, I used to tell the team all the time that life is but a vapor. And you need to appreciate your life and every moment. And uh, all of my former players tell me that all the time. They remind me about life is but a vapor. And uh, when you have somebody this close to you, it's uh, it's hard. You know, it's and, tough. And the ironic thing is he was going to be coming to Tampa for a bowl game, and I'm sure you would have caught up with him during the bowl I game in just a couple of weeks. That Mississippi State was going to be playing here in Tampa on you know the day after New Year's with the Bulldog. I know you. I'm sure you would have caught up with him. Yeah, I I was planning on going to the practices, and of course Brett Bielema, I coached Brett Bielema when he was a right. walk-on player at Iowa, so I knew Brett really well too. So I was kind of looking forward to to seeing both of them, you know, and going to some practices, you know, just since I'm in the area. But yeah, it's um, you know, it's tough, you know, it's. I'm sure I'll go to the funeral, you know, and see a lot of the, <clears throat> you know, a lot of the people that knew him well. Uh, I'm sure they'll have something in Mississippi State, and I imagine they might have something in Key West. I don't know. Is that where is that where he's based out of Key West? Is that where he lives kind of in the oh, I love, season? Yeah, we, when we were talking about me going with him to Mississippi State, we talked about you know, the drive from Starkville down to Tampa <laughs> West because we both love Florida and we both, you know, yeah, uh, we talked. I mean, we talked three and a half hours that night, and um, the topic came up. You know, hey, I'm, I want to go see my mom. You know, and I know and he goes, well, what do you think I'm going to do after every weekend? I'm taking off for Key West. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so you know, if they have something down there, I'll probably go down to Key West. And... We, well, you know, he's got a great legacy. When one, everybody in the country doesn't have a bad thing to say about the guy, and two. If you say the two words "air raid," you think of him. I mean, this guy's offense is going to live forever, you know, with the name "air raid." And I know he wasn't the original. You know, he he made that mainstream and made it a, a, a an opportunity for a lot of kids to do have a lot of success at the college level. Yeah, it was Hal Mummy and him at uh, I think it was William Penn College in Indonesia. It was in the Indono Indonesia, I think, down in Iowa. Iowa West, yep, Iowa Wesleyan, I think. That's what it was. I've been down that school. I was <laughs> down there. And I, I knew Mike was there, but I didn't really know him. And then they went to Kentucky, and yep. we played Kentucky. We played to Kentucky in our like our second or third year of football, and we only lost, we lost eighteen to seven or something like that. It was a really close game. Um, had Anthony Henry and yeah, some of those guys, and really, um, you know, that's when I got I got to know how mummy first you know and i've got stories about how mummies certainly and crazy stories and mike and mike used to like to gamble too and like i said in vegas and um i i don't i will never forget one night with him because my wife enjoyed gambling too i didn't i kind of would watch them and get, <laughs> get free drinks you know whatever and they played the cards and you know so I mean, I, I mean, Mike, we were out late in Vegas, you know. I was just kind of tagging along with him and my wife. <laughs> They're the ones that gambled. Well, two great stat football stats about Coach Leach. One, he's he's got the most wins all time 
versus ranked teams when he was an unranked team. He leads in in, in the last set like 80 years of of coaching. He's got more wins as an unranked team coaching an unranked team versus ranked teams than anybody in the history of college football. What a stat. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, we used to tease about that because he was doing it at Texas Tech. And then, you know, we were fortunate to beat West Virginia when they were fifth in the country a couple of times. And yep. Louisville was ninth. You're I don't very think we similar. Were... You're very similar to that. Oh, he had a lot more. <laughs> he had a lot more. And he did it everywhere he'd been. I just had a few, I, our team, we had a few, few like that. You know, we had about four in top 10 that we beat, but, um, but we, I, I just never forget teasing about those things. Uh, in that famous game in that famous game when Texas tech got to number one, when they beat Texas with Michael Crabtree right. scoring at the end there in Lubbock, Texas, of all places, Texas tech became number one in the country in college football. And we had, we had crab at the 49ers. I used to tease crab about that all the time. And uh, because he, you know, if you got to remember, we, you know, we would have, when I was in San Francisco, we played the Ravens in the Super yeah, Bowl. Right. And we bought a Crabtree. If he catches that ball, I got a Super Bowl ring. That's right. And <laughs> interference, if people go back and see that, they wrap their arms around his waist. Very controversial. Yep. ball. Yeah. And they did not call it. It was the worst call I've ever seen. <laughs> in Super Bowl hit. And uh, uh, in fact, it happened twice. We were playing the Seahawks. On the next year, we should have went Super Bowl again. Yeah. And, and Sherman. That was happened. Sherman, I think. Legion of Boom. Yeah, we got beat that game. And we we had a chance to go to three Super Bowls. And we lost two NFC Championship games and won one against Atlanta to go. And uh, But, you know, when you talk about Mike Leach, you know, and some of his players he's had, and it's remarkable, really. In the coaching tree, Lincoln Riley, Sonny Dykes, who I know you know, Cliff Kingsbury in the NFL, Josh Heupel now at Tennessee, Dana Holgerson, just some of the offensive guys that have kind of been mentored under Coach Leach in that air raid offense. No, it's it's remarkable. It's He changed college football, and here's a guy who didn't even play it. You know, I mean, went to BYU, and which is an interesting story, he – he sat in with Lavelle Edwards and watched, you know, Lavelle Edwards was the one that was throwing the ball out of the split back offense. Right. More than anybody. And Mike, Mike ran a lot of split back three wides as well. An ironic story is I, when I was defense coordinator at Kansas state, we were playing uh, Colorado state where urban Meyer was the receivers coach. <laughs> urban used to tease that we were three and zero against urban, but <laughs> it was after that game, they had Lavelle Edwards down there as a, uh, uh, you know, just uh, to watch the game, yeah. and I, I played for Le- I played in a blue gray game, and Lavelle Edwards was my coach. Wow! So I got to know Lavelle during that week. I thought he was a tremendous person, and again, this is who Mike studied under. Remember the and audience? After, remember the famous BYU teams in the eighties? They threw the ball all over the place with McMahon, Steve Young, Detmer, all those guys. He was—they were the first team that really threw the ball all over the place back in the early mid eighties. Well, and, and Lavelle Edwards, I asked him who I should hire as the offense coordinator. He's the one that told me, um, you know, hire uh, Mike Canales because he knows the—he uh, knows this offense. And uh, that's why I hired Mike Canales, and I brought him back again as receivers coach. So, you know, it's 
Yeah, I mean, it just Mike Leach touches so many different arenas. You know, Coach, just, I know it's been a tough couple of days for you. I know, uh, again, I really appreciate the time. Some great stories, and uh, I know you lost a close friend, and I know it'll be, it'll be, you won't ever forget him. But you know, I know it's going to be a tough couple of days here coming up. Yeah, he's a special guy, special guy. I very much appreciate your time for doing this, Coach. I really do. All right, we'll see you. Okay, Coach. Are you in the market for a new home as we enter the fall? First-time home buyer, you want to upsize or downsize your current living situation? Reach out to Titan Home Lending for all of your home lending needs. If you need an FHA, VA, conventional, jumbo, or even a bank statement loan, Titan is the place to help you. We will work with whatever financial situation you are dealing with. Again, from Key West to Pensacola to Orlando to everywhere in between, Titan Home Lending is your home lending source in the state of Florida. Reach out to Jason Powers, 205-790-1404. Now a word from our partners at Print and Marketing Solutions, as well as Star Alvarado, our realtor here on the podcast. If you have any buying and selling needs anywhere in the Bay Area, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. She can help you on the selling side or the buying side of any real estate transaction here in the Tampa Bay area. From St. Pete to Tampa to Wesley Chapel and anywhere in between, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. And Print and Marketing Solutions, my guy Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. Todd's located on the corner of Lineball and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. Todd can help you with all of your print and supply needs, corporate events, golf tournaments, signs and banners, marketing pieces, color copies, anything in between. Todd is your print and marketing specialist. Again, print and marketing specialist, Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed our chat with Coach Jim Levitt reminiscing his uh, great friendship with Mike Leach. Uh, Up next, we are going to talk to Chris Perez, former MLB All-Star closer, Cleveland Indians, now the Guardians, uh, St. Louis Cardinals, LA Dodgers. We're going to talk some uh, winter meetings, doing some some big signings, for agent signings, a couple trades and such. We're also going to get Chris's thoughts on the college football playoff. He's a big college football guy. So welcome back to the podcast, Chris. Thanks for having me. All right, man. First off, how's Christmas shopping going? You got about 10 days to go. Sounds like, yeah, I know you got a couple kiddos. I'm done. Yeah. I got three kids. Uh, I do it early. Um, I started a little, I started a little before like black Friday and that whole week uh, this year, they've had deals for like, it seems like since September, but um, I'm just, I got the hardest part now is to wrap it all. But uh, I'm, you know, there's always that one or two people that give you a gift that you're not expecting and you have to get something last minute. I even got that covered this year. So like, I'm just, Waiting, kind of just counting down the days. I'm ready. Hey, boy, out of boy, boy. All right, you guys ever you, you ever you ever spend spend Christmas in cold weather? I know you're a Florida guy at heart, but uh, you, you you like the I snow and all that stuff. You you like it you like it hot and hot and nice down here. Uh, I I do like the snow. I've never spent a Christmas in cold weather. Uh, I'm used to having like you know buying stuff and and trying to put stuff together in the garage and sweating your butt off down here. Uh, this year, I think this year though, we're going to have a blast of cold air I saw. So it might be actually like a nice, you know, Christmas for once down here. <laughs> what was the coldest game you ever played in? 
Oh, man. Uh, you know, it's not the actual temperatures that make it cold sometimes. It's the wind and, like, if you got, like, rain or sleet or something, that, that makes it even feel even worse, especially in some bullpens. Yeah. Uh, There's a couple of cold games early on in the seasons and, and obviously Cleveland. Uh, but we had a good bullpen. Like, it was, we were kind of enclosed. So it was always warm. Uh, I can remember um, Chicago just having, like, nasty, windy, cold, you know, early April games there. And they don't really, you know, they don't really have you insulated. Um, but I think the coldest I ever played in was in double A, actually. Um, it was early in the season. It was like the first, I think it was the first series of the year. We were in Midland, Texas. And uh, you don't think of Texas as being cold, but it's, it's, I don't, I think it's, you know, Midland Odessa now is a big oil area. Uh, it was just getting kind of going then, but um, it, yeah, I think it was the se- first game of the year actually. And we were sitting in the bullpen. It was freezing. It was sleeting. <laughs> it was raining. I actually blew the save that night. My first ever, that was the first ever game in double a and the next two games got, got snowed out. <laughs> wow. So uh, that would be my coldest game. All right, let's get to some of these uh, these some of these uh, winter meeting signings and such. We had a big one just last night. Carlos Correa goes to the San Francisco Giants, thirteen years, three hundred and fifty million dollars. And I know he's a good player, but how in the hell do you give Carlos Correa thirteen years? He's already twenty, I think twenty eight years old. What are these teams? What are these teams thinking to give? I mean, I know these are good players, and you have to give them. Ex- so a long-term contract to get him, but 13 years at 41 years old to be a shortstop. I just don't get it. I mean, I didn't see all the details. I don't know if there's any opt-out clauses or anything like that, but uh, maybe they're hoping that he opts out after year three or four, or <laughs> I don't know. That's it's kind of, and especially for a shortstop, there's no way he's playing that position for those next 13 years. Like he's already a bigger guy anyway. And right. he's starting, to, he's starting to break down, you know, health wise. He's had a couple of injuries with Minnesota. I know. And, you know, Houston, he had a couple of problems, too. So, like, maybe they're thinking he's going to transition to DH or, or you know, left field or something, and he, he can focus more on hitting. Um, but I, I asked you before the show, like, what changed from one offseason to the next? Like, right. He, he, I know there was a lot more shortstops available last year, but he couldn't find a multi-year deal out there last year. Right. And now, all of a sudden, you know, he's getting 13 years from a team that usually makes pretty good decisions on that right. regard, you know. Right. Uh, they, they usually – you know, say what you want, but they're, they're always usually one of the top two teams in the NL West. Uh, and obviously they have those world series uh, from the last decade to, to put back, you know, to, to verify what they do. But um, I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, it's all about timing and it's all about leverage. And he was the biggest and almost only shortstop. I mean, I know Dansby sitting there. Um, me personally, I'd rather have Dansby as, as a giant, but, but right. maybe, Dan, maybe Dansby's asking for 15 years. I don't know. These, these contracts are getting crazy. Um, and, and it's kind of funny to me too, that the owners always complain about, you know, wanting to have a, a salary cap and, and that the, you know, uh, the, and then the players always complain about the owners having collusion, keeping prices down. And then you see some of these contracts. I mean, Verlander, I know he had a great year. He's 39 years old. Like yep. there's, there's nothing saying that he's going to p- pitch the next two years and, and be the Verlander. It's, it was amazing what he did last year. Um, and, and now he's he's getting like 45 million a year almost 86, like, two for 86. Yeah, that's like that's that's crazy. Like, he, I don't, but at the same time, <laughs> if the owners are gonna pay it, you know, who's the players are just signing on the dotted line and, and using using the they're negotiating. Like, it's just it, some of these deals are crazy. Let's talk about some of the uh, the agent player relationship. You, you, you know, when, when your agent calls you, 
before you start, first of all, for into free agents, let's just say you're a free agent. Do you tell the agent, hey, 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 so and so, I want, I want X number of years, or do you leave that to the agent to negotiate the number of years? How do you guys go through that conversation with you and your agent when you know you're going to be a free agent? Uh, I think the agent, well, at least for me, I, you leave it up to the agent mostly, and you see what comes back. Okay. You know, you could have, you know, by this time, you, if it's the same agent you've had most of your career, you guys kind of know each other already and, and kind of what you're looking for, and. Um, you know, me personally, I was only a free agent twice and I didn't have really much any leverage. Uh, so I was, we were just waiting to see what was coming, you know. Right. Like I said, it's all about leverage and, and where you are in the in the pecking order. You know, Dansby, I know he's a great shortstop, but Correa was still the name and, and he's kind of waiting to see where the pieces fall. Right. And sometimes you get, you know, a little worried and you sign on a, the first, you know, a couple of deals that come through and you're like, you know, this is a, hard for me to pass up. This is great money. I know I can wait, maybe, maybe get more from this team or whatever, but um, I think every player is different. Some players, you know, are a lot more hands-on Some and, and, and in different parts of your career, like Verlander has been around this block three, four times. Right. Uh, you know, he, he can tell his agent, you know, I want to go on a contender uh, or I want to go to the top, you know, and, and, and also those agents, I don't know if Scherzer and Verlander have the same agent. They might, I think they both have Boris. Right. So like the agent, depending on your agent, he's already working those teams already, you know, like, if, if Boris hammered down that Scherzer deal last year, or he can go right back to Steve Cohen and be like, Hey, let's do a Scherzer times two for Verlander. And, you know, right. we'll button this up real fat. Like it, all that kind of stuff plays into it. Um, me personally, I just wanted the agent to, you know, I, I never had the leverage to say, I want these, this amount of years, but like Correa, I, I can't imagine him telling his agent, I want 13 years or I'm not signing. I just kind of think <laughs> the agent feels out the market and, and, you know, if, if team a is offering 12 years, if you want to want to have them throwing that 13th year, you know, like, and, and that, that kind of thing happens. So. And remember, and remember the giants were big game hunting with Aaron judge. They were trying to get a big name. They had a bunch, they had right. a lot of, they had a lot of money in their, in their, you know, came off the books last year. So they were looking to make a splash. And I know Correa is a good player to me. I think when I think Correa, I think playoffs, I think he's a big game playoff guy. He's not always the best regular season guy when it comes to hitting 35 homers and all that stuff. He's a really clutch playoff guy in my view. So I just don't think that's a – I'm with you. I'd rather paid Swanson five or six years at close to that money as opposed to paying 13 years for Correa, you know. Yeah, same. Yeah, and like I said, he's going to have to transition somewhere. So he's not playing shortstop for the next 13 years because, uh, you know, the defense would just be brutal. That's not how the Giants play anyways in that ballpark. Um it's a head scratcher. Maybe they, you know, sometimes with these teams, desperate, though, they, desperate. Yeah, it's like they have this money and they're like, well, we have to spend it. And no, you don't. You yeah, know, right. You know, sign, why not sign Crawford to a one year deal or two year deal? Have him retire as a giant. Right. And, and, you know, move, you know, build up your team a little more. Maybe sign a pitcher for that much. And then, right. You know, it's sometimes, though, I mean, like I said, the Giants are have a track record, though. They're a pretty good organization. You know, sometimes this kind of signings are with, like, the Royals would do or some teams that are, um, you know, not – not they're just trying to make a splash for the fans instead of trying to build for the future. So, it'll be interesting, though. I mean, maybe last year Correa had a, a couple of nagging injuries. You can never get going. You know, Minnesota's a cold place to start the season. And, yeah. um, like you said, he's, he's more of a playoff – uh you know clutch guy yeah i mean yeah, big, yeah. I mean, he's a solid player but yeah he's he's more of a known for the playoffs he's not gonna hit you 40 50 bombs um but uh you know dansby i think i don't know it's, uh, let's see what dansby signs for now you never know what dansby's asking for either if he 
you know, if he views himself as the number one shortstop, he could go, he's going back to teams now being like, listen, you know, I don't want 13 years, but I kind of want the same amount of money. So this, well, is a I, huge, I mean, this is a huge year for shortstops. You had Bogarts go to San Diego. You had Trey Turner go to the Phillies. Huge long-term deals too. So this is yeah. definitely like you mentioned, pecking order of who's going to go next and all that stuff. The last two years have been crazy because Seager, Seager was a free agent last year and Correa right. was in the class last year. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I just don't, the, 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 times have changed because these shortstops like Seager and like Correa, uh, they're big guys. Like, right. you know, they're, I mean, Cal Ripken was a big guy too, but he eventually moved to third, you know, like right. it, it, A-Rod, big guy. You can't play shortstop. It's just, you know, your range is, it, it, it's almost like, uh, well, it is, it's the, you know, it's the center field of the infield. Like you have to cover the most ground. Um, you have to go to second base to get on double play. Like, it's just, it's not really a big man's position. Um, so we'll see what they do. Could you, a question about Bogarts going to San Diego, kind of interesting there. Could you see the Padres trading Tatis at some point with all his off the field issues and all that stuff? I know they've already got him locked up long-term, but could you see them maybe trading a guy like Tatis if there's another incident at some point in the, in the short term? If there's another incident, I, I mean, maybe, but I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think they would get what they want back right now in order to trade him. I think it just says more that he's going to be in the outfield. Right. Uh, you know, make that team even better overall if he can stay on the field, you know, health wise and off the field stuff. Uh, you know, I don't know what his trade market would be. Guys, would I'm sure there's there's takers at the right price, but, um, you know, that contract doesn't help either. You know, you're locked in if he is a bad character kind of guy. Right. If, if your team training for him. I mean, the Padres know him better than anybody right now. Uh, so. I, I think no, I think he's going to stick around, and I just I just think it says that he's going to the outfield, just uh, you know, basically become the biggest offensive powerhouse he can be, and try to stay healthy. The Padres are going for it. you. Got to give them credit, man, for us an alleged years. small an alleged small market team. They have put out some humongous contracts to some guys. I know Machado. I think can opt out after next year. I think, but theoretically, you got Machado, you got Bogarts, you got um, you know. Tatis and Sen- I mean, you Soto. got Soto. Some- Soto. <laughs> yeah. Soto, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you got some yeah. heavyweight contracts. You do, and uh, I don't. I, I, I mean, the owner he he he's kind of done what the Mets have done, and you know, not as big of a scale, but I mean, for that market, yeah, they haven't seen this kind of ownership in, in maybe their whole franchise's history. So it's just good for the game overall, I think. Um, right. It's not hurting the players, the fans. It's not hurting the fans. Only you know, it's just hurting owners pocketbooks but they're seeing it as an investment um you know if they could if they can get one world series out of this run then it's all worth it to them you know it's 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 actually good to see these ownerships uh you know and then but on the other side you have other teams that are kind of always shedding payroll and and not building for the future kind of like the marlins and uh right yeah i'm interested to see how long they keep together they have one of the best pitching staffs around uh they just can't seem to get any hitters over there and um there's other teams too that are kind of playing that i kind of like you know this last cba was kind of rushed and put together at the end there just so we can get the season going i didn't really see all the details as it was coming out but like i kind of like having the the lottery now for the first pick in the draft uh yeah. i think this was the first year that that happened and because because baseball is, is a hard sport to tank but at the same time it was happening like you know the orioles and actually the astros were tanking to get the this original. whole process they were yeah. the original tankers exactly and it worked i mean they got look at the studs they got in the draft yeah. like you have to draft well too and develop but you know it, it, it is a, a line of thinking that the higher you pick in the draft the better talent you're going to get and 
So uh, I like some of those rules that the CBA put in, but um, yeah, spending money, it's, it's great. It's great for the sport. Uh, you know, getting these kind of power team, super teams put together and it doesn't always work. Look, the White Sox tried to do it last year with all these, right. you know, young stud hitters and sign a couple of these pit. It just doesn't work all the time. Um, but it's, it's good to see. What'd you think of the, of Verlander going to the Mets? There was a lot of speculation that Verlander and Max Scherzer didn't have a really good relationship when they were in Detroit. Obviously you pair them back together obviously Cohen's trying to make a big run here short-term deal with for Verlander what what is the what is the mood in a lot in a in a in a clubhouse when you know two of the star players maybe don't have the best relationship with each other I think that's kind of uh, uh, they might be blown out of proportion a little bit um, okay I mean I, I I obviously don't know uh when, when I saw them together in Detroit they seemed to be fine they would yeah. I you know after um they would always be next to each other in the dugout and running uh, you know you know, starting pitchers are kind of their own team within a team. Um, and at this point in their careers, I mean, they should be able to put things aside. Uh, and if it doesn't, maybe, it, maybe, it, uh, you know, there's a little chip on their shoulder when they're out there pitching, wanting to up each other. It can also work in the, in the correct way. Baseball, you know, yeah, we're, you know, you, you're always together on the bus or whatever, but you can still kind of have your distance too. You know, yeah. like um, it's not as, as a day in and day out, uh, you know, like, Scherzer's job doesn't rely on Verlander. You know, if it was pitcher catcher or, you know, pitcher pitching coach, something like that, where you actually have to rely on the guy and and actually physically interact with them to to get your job done, then there'd be something else like football. You know, all those guys have to interact because they all, you know, the offensive line affects the quarterback, which affects the wide receiver where starting pitcher, it's, it's actually the most selfless position, you know, pitching is the most selfless position in any team sport. Like, you can control your own performance. Yes, you need the, the defense and stuff and the catcher, but like, you know, you have a good day or have an off day, it's on you pretty much, you know. So um I don't I don't I don't think it's that big of a deal. They're, they're, they both have won a World Series now, Verlander again with the with the Astros last uh, this last season. So I think they know that the you know kind of the marching orders is to bring a championship to New York. Now the pressure of that right and, and the fan base and all that is 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 another level. But um yeah I yeah, I mean Stevie Cohen's doing what he said he was going to do. He's he's spending money. Yeah, yeah. They signed that. They signed that Japanese pitcher. I didn't even know That's his right. name. That's but, right. Uh, you know, you just give him five years, eighty-five. That's not a cheap contract either for a, you know, a number four pitcher on your staff probably. Like, right. <laughs> they're, they're, it's an embarrassment of riches, but that doesn't always translate to wins either. You got to stay healthy. Um, you know, the the Dodgers have been spending money for a decade it seems, and they've got one World Series, but. Uh, and 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 Cohen was a little smart. I don't say smart, but he 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 made a conscious decision. He let Degrom go to Texas, yeah. didn't pay him 185 million, and he's willing to pay Verlander a shorter term two year deal because you know obviously Degrom is a tremendous pitcher when he pitches, but he right. only pitches 20 games a year, 25 games a year at most. Right. What, what is your thought of I'll take Verlander for two years, knowing he's going to go out there 30 times probably, whereas a, as a Degrom is not going to want to go out there, but about 20, 25 times. Well, it tells me, uh, you know, Steve Cohen, he knows how he made his money, right? He's a, he's a hedge fund manager, right? So he's running data and he's doing the numbers. And he's yeah. like, yeah, I might pay more for these next two years, but I have more liquidity after that, right? Instead of hitching my right. horse for seven, eight years to DeGrom. Yeah, he's a great pitcher, but like you said, he's never out there. So um, when he is, he, you know, I, I think, obviously, I think he made the right move. Uh you know, he knows this window. He, he spent some money on Nemo, too, to keep him. Yeah. So, you know, he knows this window is maybe, you know, three, four years at the most. Uh, right. You know, 
and then he might start over. You know, he, it gives him more optionality in the next two, three years than it did if he has DeGrom just eating his payroll. Um, I think it was great. And you're going to have a guy like Soto as a free agent in a couple years here, right. another year or two, that if, if the pitcher doesn't work out, then you go pay Soto $400 million if you and need start over. Right. Yep. So he's running the numbers, and, and I – you know, he hasn't given out a long, 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 these 12, 10 year contract. Right, like right. he, he, he knows they don't work out pretty much. So he might be paying more from year to year, but he's getting established. You know, I mean, Verlander just won the Cy Young award, you know, like yep. he's getting guys that are, that are coming off of their, they're still in their peaks, you know? So, um, what do you think of, what do you think of it from Texas's point of view of rolling the dice a little bit with, with DeGrom pay, overpaying it's almost, them? It's almost like they have to, I mean, right. They're, they are spending money. It's like, like I was saying, like you have this money, you don't have to spend it, you know, but they are, I mean, they got Seager last year. He was yeah. a big free agent and they kind of, you know, he, he put up a good number, but they're not, they're not like one step away from a world series, you know, right. like the, it's like, Oh yeah. DeGraw can come over and we have all these young pitchers coming up a lot lighter and, and everybody, but like, I still don't, I still don't <laughs> see the, I, I still see the Astros as the favorite in the AOS next year and Seattle, yeah. like a close second. So even with these moves, it's great if you're a Texas fan, like, okay, we're getting better, but you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just, it's just kind of like false hope. I don't know. They're going to be incrementally better. Yes. But at the same time, is it going to move the needle? Like, could they finish in third or fourth place without the Grom? Yes. You know, like, right. Right. But we'll see. All right. Last last couple of ones. We'll get you out of here. As far as Aaron judge. I mean, the, the, the talk was for judge, do you want to have a legacy in New York as a Yankee forever kind of deal? Or do you want to take a couple more years and probably you could go to San Francisco or maybe even San Diego. You think he made a good move staying with the Yankees, you know, basically the same money that he was getting offered elsewhere. But obviously I think he wants to create a legacy in New York as an all-timer. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I, I think, I think there, he had the Yankees in a, you know, in between a, a rock and a hard spot. Yeah, he, right. He's, He's been the face of the franchise the last two, three, four years. Uh, you know, obviously coming off a, a historic season too. Um, he he really could have, I think, could have pretty much you know set his number and gotten it or something close to it. Uh, I think he made the right decision for his legacy. Uh, I think he has a better chance to get in the Hall of Fame as a career Yankee uh, than if he you know goes out and plays in the West Coast. And yeah, uh, there's no, you know there's no denying that he's a great home run hitter, but Yankee Stadium is it, I mean, he makes that thing look like a bandbox, whereas right. San Francisco is a little tougher place. You know, it's the, uh, the weather's a little different. Uh, it's harder to, it, you know, he's a big man and really no ballpark's too big for him, but you know, for those five or six extra home runs, you know, he's trying to get all time numbers here. So um, I think for his legacy, he's, I think it's no secret. He'll be named the next captain of the Yankees. And, right. Um, that whole thing. I, I think he, he did the math and he's like, yeah, I know he's from, he is from San Francisco, but he's been in New York long enough now. That's probably like his home. Sure. So, I mean, uh, just for overall, I think he made the right decision. And the Yankees did too. I, you know, no matter what he does the next two, three, four years, you would think that the Yankee fans, he, he's one of them. Like, he, you know, he's like the next Jeter. They're not going to boo him because uh, he, he at plays hard. Until, at least not until about a year eight or seven or eight of the deal when he's 39 years old hitting 220. <laughs> But I still think he could like hit home runs in that stadium. Even like you know, <laughs> that stadium is made for him. So yeah. you know, being being forty years old in San Francisco, I don't see much production happening there. Um, and, he, and he's another guy. He's a big guy from a physical guy. standpoint. You never know when his back might break down or you know yeah. leg problems, things like that. And all of a sudden, they go downhill quick. 
The Yankees are kind of used to eating those contracts, though. I mean, Els- right. they ate Ellsbury, told him to go away. They paid A-Rod his last year and said, go retire. So, yeah. like, nothing new for them. <laughs> so, when it, when an agent calls you, does he just tell you, hey, Chris, we got two teams. We got, you know, St. Louis and, you know, whoever. And here are the numbers. Or, or, or do you kind of give him an idea, hey, these are the teams I, I don't want to move. I want to, I you know, I like it in Cleveland or I like it wherever I'm at. Do you, do you, how much uh, input do you get? Or is it strictly for some players? I know it's all about the money. That's all they care about is how, what's the num- biggest number for you? Right. Was it ever about living situation during the season or was it more for, Hey, I need to get as much as I can get. Cause I know my, my window is pretty small here. For me, it was opportunity to have a uh, closing chance. Okay. Um, Cause uh, I was coming off kind of a rough, well, I had, I still had pretty good saves, but I've still, I, I didn't finish the year good in Cleveland in 13. Uh, so there was questions of like if I could still be a closer or not. They released me, so I was looking for an opportunity where I might be able to, you know, for a team that a had a good chance to close on and b was going to be competitive. Um, and the Dodgers kind of had question marks because Kinley was Kinley Jansen was there, but he he had lost the role the year before. Like he was still young, so like he wasn't. He actually established himself the year I signed there. He actually like became the full time closer and never looked back. Yeah, uh, they had Brian Wilson there too. Yeah, uh, and Brandon League. So we had like four closers there, and League was coming off of like a knee injury. Uh, and Brian Wilson had a good year the year before, but he only pitched for like the last month. Uh, so he wasn't like they they didn't want to commit to them. So that was that was mostly my decision. It was just a chance to close, and it didn't work out at all. But um, yeah, every every person's different. Uh, like Wayne Wright, you know, he's a career Cardinal. They just worked out a fair deal. You know, stuff like that. He could have probably gotten more money somewhere else. But, like, yeah. at this point at this point in his career, like, he's made enough money. He's been a Cardinal his whole career. He's not sure. going anywhere. Right. Uh, I kind of expect Pools to do the same kind of thing. I don't think he's retiring. I'm still – You don't? I'm still, okay. I'm still putting that out there. Um, I mean, if you look at his, at his numbers last year against just left-handed hitters, he's a top five MLB hitter. Like, it's right. hard to, it's hard to say that. But, like, he like you can't imagine that. But he was. Right. So – and he never really uh, – Yachty was the only one that kind of said, I'm, I'm definitely – this is my last year. I'm, you know, I'm not coming back. Like, Pools never – I don't think he ever said. I think it was just kind of like, you know, the media just kind of speculated because, right. oh, the Cardinals signing back Pujols. He had a great year. I, I don't know. And he went through this divorce. I don't think he wants to just go sit at home and have nothing to do. I think he's going to – you know, I think he's going to come back. The Tom Brady, even, the Tom Brady syndrome, exactly. And I think you might even see him on the Dominican uh, World Baseball Classic. That'll, that'll yeah, kind of be, that would be cool. I think you know, kind of that that might be his final send off. But I, I still think if he has a good classic and, and a team <laughs> has an injury or two, yeah. Like he, I mean, he had twenty something home runs, and and you just platoon him, you know, with the DH now in both leagues, it opens up way more doors. And I, I know he had seven hundred, but. You know, yeah, Tom Brady's 45, so he's got three more years. He can maybe get to 800. <laughs> All right, listen to the Powers on Sports podcast. We're here with Chris Perez, former MLB All-Star, Cleveland Indians, Guardians, whatever we want to call them these days. We're gonna Let's transition to college football. I know you're a big college football guy. we got the college football playoff coming up, coming up here in a couple weeks. Uh, Georgia and Ohio State, TCU, Michigan. Which matchup do you like? And do you see any kind of – do you see an upset in either game? Uh – I don't. I think uh, I don't. I think TCU's. They're a nice story and everything, but they're not ready to face Michigan's defense and, and running game and offensive line. They're just not built the same. Um, 
you know, barring it, it is still football and college kids are, are still college kids, but barring like some crazy five turnovers and, you know, some crazy block punt or something, I don't see TCU even being there in the fourth quarter. Um, now the next, the other game, I thought Georgia, you know, I thought they're all year, they've been the best team head, you know, heads and shoulders above everybody else. Uh, but then last night I was watching like the bottom line on ESPN and I saw FPI says they only have like a 57% chance of beating yeah. Ohio state. And I just, I mean, I don't know. Ohio State has had a good year too, but Michigan kind of blew the doors off them in the second half there at, at, at their own house, which is kind of shocking. Um, and and Georgia's been blowing the doors off of everybody's. You know, their their defense is is great, um, and they're playing in they're playing at home game. They're playing in in Atlanta. Atlanta, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the the Peach Bowl. So I mean, they're gonna have the home field advantage. Ohio State travels well, but still, the I mean, they're in they're in Atlanta. Like that's yeah. that's. That's that's the home Georgia's. game. It's a exactly. home game. A home game. <laughs> it's a home game, right? And uh, just having the experience of last year and Stetson Bennett being there last year and, and leading them, and I think they roll too. So I, I mean, Ohio State, they're they're a good team. They're a good offense. I think their defense is a little short this year, though. And uh, and Georgia's a complete team. They've had no major injuries. They got everybody. that kind of seen like Kirby's done a great job keeping them focused all year. Um, you know, they've really had no down game. They've had a half, I think, where they were like maybe uh, only up like 16 to 10 or something, and then right, they blew them right. off. So he's had, a, he's had them focused all year. Uh, I, I think they're, they're going to be tough to beat. I think they might have repeat champs. Georgia back-to-back, says Chris Perez. I think so, yeah. What's going on with Tom Brady and the Bucks, man? Is there any – I mean, is, is it just one of these where you hope to get hot the last no, couple weeks of the I year guess- into the playoffs, or do you think they're done? I mean, I think they're going to win the division, but I, I really don't see them competing at all in the playoffs. Uh, if you look at the matchups, everyone that's the leading they, – they Either would be Dallas the or Philadelphia is going to be coming right. to Tampa. Yeah, and right now it seems like Dallas and their offense just – I know they played earlier this season, but it's a, it's almost like a completely different Bucks team right now. And they're, they're kind of just like soulless, you know. They're just right. kind of just moving moving with the water, like the tide right now. Like I, I don't think it will be a good weekend this weekend either with Cincinnati that's hot coming into town too. Um, yeah, you just wish and hope and you always got Brady. So you always got a chance, but, uh, I mean, him and him and Evans are having problems now hooking up and how do you, as a player who's been in clubhouses and been around teams all your life, when you know, you're, everybody knows what, I mean, the Malay, it's like a malaise. I don't know what it is. How do you, I mean, I'm sure you guys have team and, you know, uh, players only meetings. How do you get out of this? Is there a way to get out of this as a group? Or is it just, you know, how do you get it's out like, of this, something like this? Yeah, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Like, what comes first, the, the the success or the confidence, right? Like, do they need to have a couple wins in a row and then the whole mood changes and everybody's back on the same schedule? You know, losing, even in Tampa, I know we don't have, like, the biggest media presence, but, you know, losing always just makes amplifies things. You know, uh, when you win and you have a, you know, a bad game, it's like, okay, we, we need to fix these things, but we won. When you lose, it's like, oh, we got – you know, it's almost like the sky is falling. And what what's really odd is that Brady, I don't think he's ever been in that situation. Uh, you know, he's been on I, – I don't think when he was on the Patriots, they ever had a – you know, not this late in the season. Not they this were ever, deep, right. Right, they were never 500. So I don't think he's ever had that – like, is he a tremendous leader and a winner? And a, yes. But at the same time, I don't think he's ever been in a type of season like this. Like, he's had adversity during games and halves and stuff. And then he may have said a speech or said something to get guys fired up. But, like, like there was maybe, never any kind of doubt of the coach either. Belichick right. and New England were now, I think, I think you probably don't that hear was it. My next, 
there's some coaching doubts that what's going oh, yeah. on with Leftwich and the Bulls. Oh, for and sure. Decision was, making that was, and things that like be that. My second point. Sometimes that comes from the top. You know, if you had a Mike Tomlin here, uh, where you know he's a, just a voice of calm, and you know he's not going anywhere. And this is what we do. We're getting back to Steeler football, and right. like we don't have that here. We don't have a history of Buccaneer football. You know, we've had kind of lightning in a bottle. Like 2020 just was a crazy year, and right. COVID, no fans, and uh, and boom, we got Tom Brady, and boom, we won the world, the Super Bowl. Like it was just kind of a crazy. And even that year, there was some. You know, him and Bruce Arians were still kind of going back and forth at each other. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think uh, a leader at the top has something to do with it, too. Uh, you know, Todd Bull seems more of the hands off kind of let the guys sort it out. Kind of I'm a veteran kind of coach and, you know, I'm not a rah rah. I'm not going to get in somebody's face. I'm just going to kind of oh, these guys have been here before and we got a bunch of veterans and it's going to work itself out. Like, he doesn't seem like to be the, the guy that's going to change, uh, you know, say something that might piss some people off or right. or call right. somebody out in the media and say, you know, he needs to play better or. He doesn't seem like that type of coach. So, uh, I don't, honestly, I, I don't see how they turn back from this. Luckily, they're in a crap division, and they're going to, you know, win one or two more games, and then they're going to get to the playoffs. But um, I just uh, – it kind of leaves the Bucks in a tough situation because Brady's not sticking around for year two of this. this. I, I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think with Bowles. No chance. And, and he's looking over at his home – you know, he just played his hometown team last week, and he's looking over there, and he's like, oh, they got a third-string quarterback in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, they got some weapons on the outside. We got a good defense. They got a good offensive line. Like, I could just do well, what they I didn't, did. They didn't want Brady three years ago, though, so I don't know if he goes back there because they could have had him three years ago, and they, they stuck with Jimmy G. I know, but that, that three years have changed now, and Brady's still <laughs> out there uh, healthy and slinging passes, and Jimmy G's on the, you know, on the injury list. So, uh, I don't know. I'm just saying that would be a great send-off. You know, I think Brady would be a lot more receptive to, like, a one-year $8 million deal, come be our quarterback, and look at, you know – Look at this team we've built, but that's just me. <laughs> Last thing I'll get you out of here. Have you ever been in a situation with talk? We were talking with Coach Levitt about Mike Leach. You know, yeah. you ever been in a situation when a when a coach on your team had passed away suddenly? Anything like that? Any of those situations in your career? No, no. Luckily, no. Uh, and 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 in that situation, that's the head guy. That's the. I mean, in the right. college, he's running the program. You know, he's that's uh, that's a tough situation. He was always one of my favorite coaches to watch, and just uh you know he just thought about the game in a different way and uh it makes sense that he never played college football uh you know had a law degree had a law degree yeah had a law degree just he looked at a game differently and um you know i I saw a stat last night on espn i didn't know either he he has the most wins as an unranked coach versus a ranked team we talked about that yeah that's great like uh that gets guys buying in and and that kind of he always seemed to have a positive you know kind of vibe about him so uh, I think he would. And he never won with the best players either. He always oh, had a kind of a you know a noodle armed quarterback just throwing it around. He never had a five star kind of guy you know nope. throwing it around. That's why, yeah, yeah, bringing that. I would like to see in a couple more years in the SEC if he could have actually you know implemented some more of his yeah. his schemes and stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, just a sad situation. Uh, kind of, and it's kind of crazy. They're they're coming to Tampa to play, and I saw they're yeah, right. they're actually going to play the they're going to play the bowl game too. That probably as a tribute to him, but um that's a tough situation especially at that that age you know you're all those kids are 22 and 19 you know 18 to 22 yeah. year olds so they're yeah. still that's like their second father figure if they've been there for three or four years and uh just to lose them suddenly it, it can't be an easy situation at all all right man well great job have a good holiday good luck with the wrapping buy some tape buy some wrapping paper <laughs> yeah i got the hardest part is keeping the cats away from it <laughs>
they, they, they try to, you know, the, the paper gets them kind of, I don't know if it like makes them, their ears twitch. It makes them frisky though. Like they just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, maybe uh, we can come on after, uh, after the champ, after the college uh, bowl games or something. You got it, man. Leave out a couple cookies for Santa Claus and some milk and yes. all that good stuff. A little shot of whiskey or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My kids don't know about that yet, but <laughs> have a great holiday, Chris. Appreciate the time, man. Thanks. No problem. You too. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.